Welcome to the Game Plan Podcast with Judah Newby and Brian Perkins, breaking down all things Seahawks. May 8th, 2018, and Seahawk rookie minicamp is in the books. Phase two of the offseason just underway, and plenty of news and notes to get to on the Seattle Seahawk roster as we inch ever closer to minicamp in June, training camp at the end of July, and the preseason to follow in August. Still seems like an eternity between now and then, but nonetheless, still plenty of noteworthy things to talk about, including a longtime uh, Seahawk departing the team which is true to theme for this offseason, but we'll get to Cliff Averill and uh, what his departure from the Seahawks means, both short-term and long-term. Plus, we'll get to news and notes on Earl Thomas and Cam Chancellor from this week. We added a new king of cash in the NFL, the quarterback position. How might that affect Russell Wilson? And top, historically, top uh, undrafted free agent signings in the Pete Carroll, John Schneider era. We're going to get to that as well, but let's start with top takeaways from rookie minicamp. He's Brian Perkins. I'm Chu Danubi on the Game Plan Podcast. Yeah, it's so funny because it, you, when you think undrafted free agents, I feel like before the the Pete Carroll era, it was never really an exciting time, it, which is so silly because the, the NFL is littered with undrafted free agents. I mean, guys that have and made— And who, who knows how conscious we were of what was going of on. Of course, really yes, exactly. But kind of when you start to look at the history of what they've done— you really can zone in and realize that this isn't just a, a filler. You know, they need a certain number of guys for preseason. This isn't just, um, well, we have to do this, so we're going to do it. They clearly, you know, you talk about the way that they handle undrafted free agents. They almost take it more seriously than the draft in a lot of ways, right? The the pressure yeah. right after the draft to call the guys that they want to prioritize that. bigger For as many guys that get drafted, there's a bigger pool of undrafted free agents to really choose from. You know, any type of college football player, really. So, yeah, for just given the level of competition for these guys, if it's anything competition-related and signing undrafted free agents qualifies as being competition-related and it's uh, of the Seahawks' primary interest. But even then, you know, they bring in 15 of those undrafted free agents for this weekend's rookie minicamp. They don't have access to all the guys that they wanted to call that weren't drafted as well. Let's start, though, with the draft picks that came in this weekend, Brian Perkins and First and foremost, Rashad Penny, the uh, player that the Seattle Seahawks picked with their first round selection this year after trading back with the Green Bay Packers to number 26 overall. You know, Penny considered to be a reach by some given his uh, mock projections and then the value of the first round selection. Um, But, you know, the more time we've gotten away from the draft, the more this selection, to me at least, makes sense. I'm a fan of Rashad Penny and this pick. Obviously, he, we want to see it put together on the football field before we make any judgments on him as a player. But first takeaways from him is that not only did he look good running the football, of course, it's rookie minicamp, how many takeaways can you have? But he looked good catching the football as well. They had him run a bunch of different variations of pass routes. Brian Schottenheimer was there um, kind, of, kind of constructing that. And they said that he looked good and he could pro- probably contribute as a pass catcher. But given his hindrances in pass protection that is certainly a weakness of his that they want to work on you know my question about Rashad Penny is does he need to be a three down back in order to justify his first round value that's a really good question and I think that that is a twofold answer that's not necessarily you know it's not necessarily yes or no to me I think that it's something that should be expected in coming seasons 
right now, when you look at Seattle's roster, they have a lot of guys that are pretty good at pass protection, right? They have a lot of depth at that position. And I think that they're comfortable knowing that that is a weakness of his, and that's something that can develop over the next couple of years. I don't think that it's a huge concern for them, at least right out of the gate. That would be my opinion. You know, you have a Mike Davis, you have Chris Carson, you know, um, that can come in and and kind of help shoulder the load in that uh, category. And those are also guys, by the way, that are dangerous in the run game. So it's not ne- it's not like you're necessarily um, showing your hand by having those guys in the game, if that makes sense on, let's say, like a third and three or something like that. So to me, I think that it is something that needs to be improved on and something that he should try to improve on if he wants to be the featured back on this football team. But right out of the gate, I don't think it should be an expectation. We we always talk about how the running game hasn't looked the same since Marshawn, lift, Marshawn Lynch left a couple of years ago. That being said, there's something to be said for Lynch's ability to catch passes in the pass game too. Like he was a very advanced receiver for being a true tailback. He was lots really big, good catching the ball. Lots of big plays throughout his career in Seattle in the pass catching. Which you kind of forget about given his power <laughs> as a runner, but that's what made him so special. So I think when you're if you're looking for a running back to kind of bring that identity back to Seattle in terms of being a bell cow, you know, you can't forget about the, you know, B level skill set of being a pass catcher too. And it sounds like Rashad Penny has that within his skill set. I still think that guys like ProSize and McKissick will probably be the best pass-catching running backs on this roster, but if you're looking at guys that you say it's third and four, third and three, you know, and you want them in the game because of the threat of being able to pound the football on third and short or be able to catch something out of the flat, you know, you would hope that Rashad Penny would be able to stay in the game and be that guy or pick up a late blitz or something like that. Absolutely, you would want him in the third and short situations. Yeah, I just don't know if it's realistic to necessarily expect it right out of the gate um, yeah. from a pass pro perspective. But you're right. I mean, you look at the roster right now, and I mean, Penny comes across as the most well-rounded, right, of any of these guys, which would make sense given where he was drafted and the expectations of him. But they still have guys on this team roster that do a lot of things really well, but they maybe do one or two things really well, right? Like you mentioned ProSize. What does he do well? He gets injured really well. Oh, come on. Uh, I'm just messing with you. <laughs> Love you, CJ. Um, no, but I mean, he's obviously Ugh. such a dynamic threat, right, out of the backfield. Um, and he's a guy that really um, demands attention from a defense. He's a former receiver in Notre yeah. Dame. So Yeah, I mean, yeah. he demands, like he is, he is someone that, defensively really kind of has to change or forces you to change what you want to do when he's in the game because he's that type of threat. And McKissick's becoming the same way, you know, um, maybe not to level of precise, but last year we did see a lot of, I mean, it was kind of controversial, right, that he made the roster and some other guys didn't, but he really had a big impact, especially late in the season. And he had the only touchdown that wasn't accounted for by Russell Wilson, <laughs> you know, in uh, last year's regular season. Still incredible, that stat. Uh, other draft picks that made impacts of note, a defensive end, Rasheem Green, the third-round pick out of USC. Now, I know Perkins, a lot of, you know, the Seahawks were thrilled to get him where they did in the third round. A USC guy, certainly program Pete Carroll is uh, uh, familiar with, to say the least. And the idea that he might be able to project into a Michael Bennett type fit along the defensive line. Versatility is within his skill set. The ability to line up inside or outside and rush from either way. Now, I know he would prefer being an outside rusher. That's what he said he's most comfortable with. But I think he's got the skill set for both. And he played more of the inside technique at USC. The, uh, The first reports around him from this weekend advanced feel for the position and an intelligence about the position. That's really good to hear about a third round pick. It is, especially at that position. You know, defensive line in general 
can be really tough right out of the gate to, to find guys that can have an immediate impact, right? Like you see a lot of first rounders that are able to come in and have an impact, but that is a position that requires like so much strength and so much developed skill that it can be tough for the first few years in the NFL for, for a if lot of If you're not guys. just like ridiculously physically gifted. Yes. In a certain way. Like yeah. Whether your speed or your power is just better than everybody. Just, yeah. But typically, you yeah. know, these younger guys it just takes time to whether, whether you're playing inside to build up, you know, the, the muscle and the stamina that is required or on the outside, you know, not only the muscle, but the speed and the technique to get around NFL caliber offensive linemen is not as easy as you would think. So that is really encouraging to see because – I think there's going to be an expectation for him to have an impact this year. I mean, and the urgency is there with the uncertainty slash certain releasing of Malik McDowell down the road. Yeah, the, exactly. I mean, they're they're pretty thin right now at that position in terms of versatile playmakers. Mm-hmm. You know, they have bodies, but do they have a lot of guys that really are a threat? And I think the answer to that right now is no. So there's going to be opportunity for Rasheem Green, Shaquem Griffin. Profiling at a weak side linebacker position, currently the top of the depth chart at that position is Barkevius Mingo, who they brought in in free agency, and a lot of questions around Barkevius as well, given the way that he's exited in Cleveland and what kind of value he provides. But a weak side linebacker, uh, Shaquem, reports from him this weekend were that he was really aggressive, really hyped up, and ready to go right out of the gate. Even in team walkthroughs, he was going hard, and the coaches kind of had to tell him to chill out a little bit and just relax. But (laughs) at the same time, he looked ready to make an impact. He wanted to make an impact. Um, Really cool to see a one-handed player going through drills. Um, I saw him be able to catch footballs and like interception walkthrough type drills, um, and that he was just... He showed good grasp of the language and the concepts for the weak side linebacker position. Yeah, and he's getting a lot of national press too. You know, his his post camp interview was on SportsCenter. You know, so he's getting a lot of that kind of national press. And it's funny because it feels like Seattle, just given the personalities they've had on their team, a lot of times the conversation is not necessarily viewed as positive. If you're a fan of the team, right? <laughs> um, so it's kind of cool to have a positive story making national news associated with this team as well there are five linebackers now, now right now on the roster including bobby wagner kj wright barkevius mingo you profile shakim griffin to back up the weak side and then dj alexander to back up the strong side still no immediate backup behind bobby wagner at the mike linebacker position just something to keep an eye on going forward another guy that stood out trey flowers the uh, fifth round pick of the seahawks Safety at Oklahoma State, really great background too. Greg Bell of the Tacoma News Tribune had a wonderful background piece on this young man coming out of the draft. Lost to, or his father um, is dealing with life-threatening injuries from a car accident uh, from from last year, I believe, during Flowers' senior season. But Trey is making the conversion from safety to cornerback. It's helpful for the Seahawks because he has all the physical attributes and measurements of the cornerbacks that they like, including being 6'2 and above and ridiculous wingspan. And he's played corner some in his collegiate past, and he's played a lot of special teams in his collegiate past as well. All things that check boxes for the Seahawks. Nevertheless, making a transition from Big 12 safety to NFL cornerback is going to be a long-term process. My gut feeling is we won't see a lot from this guy in year one, but he did make some headlines coming out of this weekend, um, despite a little bit of growing tightness on the last day of camp, that he looked like he could make that feel that switch eventually. Yeah, I'm not sure if you want to hear from him year one, because that probably means there have been 
a various number of injuries yeah. on your team because you're right. I think it's going to be a, a pretty big learning curve for him. Um, now, fortunately, you have to have all the faith in the world, right, in Pete Carroll and what he's done to develop defensive backs <laughs> during his tenure in Seattle. Uh, there's a lot of you just have to have faith that he's going to be able to come in and and you know help with that conversion process. But you're right, this is a long game draft pick, not immediate help draft pick. Well, and it makes you wonder about the couple of secondary players drafted last year: Delano Hill from Michigan, still mm. profiling his safety, and uh, Mike Tyson from Cincinnati, that profiling at corner. You know what happens with those two guys? And I just found it interesting. You know, Bob Condota, the Seattle Times, this morning came out with his first projection of the 53-man roster, um, which is well in advance. It obviously doesn't get cut to 53 before week one. But uh, Tyson was a cut on that. And there's got to be some urgency for some of the rookies from last year in this secondary to step up and make an impact if they want to make this team. It's just something to keep an eye on, uh, especially with the uncertainty at the safety position, uh, both with Cam Chancellor and Earl Thomas. Uh, Michael Dixon looked good. Some highlights on Twitter of him uh, with with the punting. You know, I love John Ryan, but Dixon seems like a special talent at the punter position, and his I, I think he's going to take the job. Fifteen undrafted free agent um, signings that were with the Seahawks this weekend. Forty six additional tryout invitees. You forget <laughs> about how many bodies are there. Yeah. Seahawk rookie minicamp. And one of the invitees that stood out, Brian Perkins, was wide receiver DeMaurier Stringfellow, six foot two, 219 pounds. He has Seattle ties because he went to the University of Washington, was suspended from that program, then eventually transferred out of that program to Ole Miss. Uh, he was an undrafted free agent in 2017, cut by the Miami Dolphins, and then on the New York Jets practice squad last year. They released him a couple weeks ago, and he comes into Seahawk rookie camp as a tryout. But he looked good, apparently. Made some big catches and might be one of those big-bodied receivers that Seattle's always on the lookout for. And if you look at Seattle's history of bringing in guys, they seem to have an affinity to... Uh, bringing in undrafted or late round picks that can actually come in and have an impact. And he's look six two two nineteen. And Pete said that he plays bigger than his size, which is you know you have to trust a coach's eye on that uh, as opposed to anybody else's. But they don't really have any big bodied receivers to go to at this point now that Jimmy Graham has left. Their primary two pass catchers are Lockett and Baldwin, both five ten. You know John Brown, you know six foot six one. So. If there's a chance to maybe take a shot, and look, maybe it's not just him. Remember Casey Williams? He's still available. I mean, Cleveland cut him. So maybe he's another guy that's made training camp impact on the Seahawks before. Um, And all the Seahawks did sign five undrafted free agent tryout players, including DeMaurier Stringfellow, free safety Tevin Mutcherson, center Marcus Henry, tackle Nick Callender, and guard Avery Young. Three out of the five signees. Are Mike Solari, offensive lineman. <laughs> Interesting how that works, huh? Yeah. Moving on. Top undrafted free agent signings in the Pete Carroll-John Schneider era dating back to 2010. Perkins, you kind of spearheaded this. What were some of your takeaways? Well, it's interesting because you mentioned there three offensive line undrafted signees. Some guys, by the way, is it, this is not uncommon for Seattle to, to bring in offensive linemen and let them prove themselves. And a lot of times these guys end up making the roster. You know, look at like an Alvin Bailey who made the roster, right? And Alvin Bailey, I particularly, you know, kind of love hate because he was out of shape for a lot of his time here. But there was one play in particular I will always remember with Alvin Bailey. 
and it was in the NFC Championship game against the 49ers in 2013. And Seattle in the third quarter was playing an extra tackle at the tight end slot. So tackle eligible, but with no desire to pass, simply to power run. And Bailey was playing that tackle eligible slot on the big touchdown run by Marshawn Lynch in the third quarter when Marshawn kind of gave the uh, the stanky leg to Eric Reed and was yeah. able to <laughs> bust it to the pylon and score a massive touchdown. But it was Alvin Bailey who was able to get to the second level and make that block. The one lone really great memory of Alvin Bailey I have. <laughs> Undrafted free agent. Well, then you have, you know, Gary Gilliam, who we all remember the one, you know, catching touchdowns, right? That's right. He got the touchdown on the fake uh, field goal from John Ryan. <laughs> That's right. And, and the NFC title. George- another NFC title. Yeah, another wow. NFC title. And then George Fant. Yep. who obviously was going to be the guy, right, at left tackle before he went down with injury, and they still expect him to at least compete for some sort of starting spot on that roster, uh, mm. you know, going into this season. Uh, Lem, uh, wow. Jean-Pierre as well. Lemuel Jean-Pierre, long-time backup center. Yeah, so, I mean, look, all I'm saying is when you look at these, you might roll your eyes and go, never heard of them, never heard of them, never heard of them. Calendar, don't you buy those at the store? This is... I mean, look, anything goes. And you have a new coach coming in who wants his guys and his style of players. There's a very good possibility that at least one of those guys potentially makes the roster. So yeah. just just keep that in mind because clearly offensive line is a position that they have uh, valued an undrafted free agent and brought in. Um, also, wide receiver. You mentioned Stringfellow. It's so funny because what they have done this season really reflects what they've done in the past. Obviously, Jermaine Curse, Doug Baldwin come to mind. You also have Chris Matthews, who wow. was not with the team for a long time, but for a good time because he obviously had the huge. I mean, look, if they win that Super Bowl, he is looked at so differently than he is now, right? I, I mean, mean, I don't even know where he is now. He was with the Ravens, I feel like, two seasons ago, and I don't even know if he's in the league anymore. But he would go down in Seahawks lore, right? He would be the MVP of that Super Bowl, I think. If maybe Wilson, I guess, but over a yeah. hundred receiving yards in the first half and two touchdowns. Yeah. Or a touchdown. I mean, that's crazy. Unbelievable. And this was remember at the end of the first half when you thought Seattle, you know, might try to execute a couple plays and then just go into the half and they end up driving down the field and scoring a touchdown as time expires. To Chris Matthews. It's just interesting. And the onside kick recovery in the NFC title. Yeah. I mean Against huge Green plays. Bay. Yeah. Huge plays. You know, Tanner McAvoy, who they kept, contra- you know, there was some controversy there, right, about Case and Williams and last season and should he make the team. And McAvoy definitely had some bloopers this last season, but also yeah. But yeah, it's special had special teams some, value. Yes, McAvoy and had some did. impact play without a doubt. And then obviously Ricardo Lockett before he had to retire because of his injury. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, so, I mean, you look at that and we're talking about four receivers on this team that have made uh, a, either a really significant impact in Doug Baldwin an impact in Jermaine Curse or two guys that um, made three guys that made special plays here and there. And then you round it out with, you know, guys like Thomas Rawls, who couldn't ever really stay healthy. Uh, Troy Maine Pope. <laughs> I love <laughs> Troy Maine. was a bit flash of the pan, but Mike Morgan, you know, <laughs> linebacker. Mike Morgan, that guy was uh, relentless as an underdog that always found a way to be on this team. Yeah. As a backup linebacker, always, and yep. special team player all the time and it makes sense that he was an undrafted free agent because that fit his mentality coming out of USC someone very familiar with Pete Carroll yeah Brock Coyle another one yeah remember that preseason where Brock was doing everything at middle linebacker and 
He ended up finding a finding a home in the NFL, if I don't yeah, believe. 49ers. Yep. Is he still with them? I thought he was. Yeah. It's hard to keep track of all these guys once they leave. But, um, you know, so it's interesting because what you're, you're kind of sensing a little bit of a theme here that outside of, you know, maybe Doug Baldwin, and we don't really know with with Fant necessarily, but a lot of these guys are sticking around for a couple years, maybe two or three years before they go out and either get paid or maybe you're out of the league. But they have an impact when they are with the team. You know, they make some sort of play. I mean, you know, even Cooper Helfit, right? Remember him? What was he out of Duke? Undrafted? Jerron Johnson? Boise State, John Johnson. <laughs> I love that. And then technically, Seattle did sign Will Tukuafu as an undrafted free agent before he went to the 49ers and then came back to Seattle. He was with Seattle for like two seconds yeah. before he ended up in San Francisco. Cooper Helfit did go to Duke. Nice okay, call. yeah. So, you know, there's, I'm just saying, there's a, quite a bit of of correlation between undrafted signings and guys who make the roster. And when you look at what they're doing this year, it really jives with, the types of players that they look for to make an impact as undrafted free agents. Not a ton of undrafted free agent signings that find second contracts with the Seahawks or with that same team yeah. in general, but uh, that is part of what makes Doug Baldwin so special. And Jermaine Kirsch to a certain extent because he's found sustained value in the NFL, obviously, in two locations. He has. Now, but Michael Bennett's another one. Oh, Michael Bennett and Doug Baldwin. Yeah, those guys are, are top of the charts, absolutely. And then obviously pretty much every kicker in the NFL or punter. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, John Ryan undrafted, Steven Hauschka undrafted. Right. That know. that position is a little bit different. To because me it's, because, well, yeah, it's, you know, uh, no rarely. one gets drafted anyway. <laughs> yeah. Usually. <laughs> right. 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 Yeah. Usually. Uh, but, you know, when you do get drafted, that's, you're supposed to make a huge impact. So hopefully Michael Dixon can be that for the Seahawks because you look at guys like, Roberto Aguayo is certainly uh, where whiffs in their respective stops. All right, we have a new king of cash in the NFL, the quarterback position. Matt Ryan signed a five-year extension Friday with the Atlanta Falcons near $150 million. $100 million guaranteed and $30 million per year. 100 mil and 30 mil. First player ever to uh, get those marks in his contract, getting the 100 mil guaranteed and the 30 mil a year. Um, good for Matt Ryan, now an NFL MVP, an NFC champion, should be a Super Bowl champion. It makes sense, you know, but it's just a huge, huge number to kind of wrap your brain around. As far as what that means for Russell Wilson, I think you have to take a look at the quarterback market at large. And going into 2020, there are some pretty interesting names that are going to be uh, free agents in 2020. So these are quarterbacks in the NFL that have two years left on their deal. It includes Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson, Ben Roethlisberger, Eli Manning, Philip Rivers, Tom Brady. These are all part of the two, still, as of right now, the 2020 free agent class. Now, I think it's important to look at career trajectory with all those guys. For instance, I don't think Philip Rivers, well, he, maybe he's interesting. I don't think Eli Manning right now at 36 years old will be 38 in 2020 will be coming up for a Matt Ryan type Mega of extension. Deal. Yeah. I so you know you can rule him out. I think Ben Roethlisberger is the same way. Yep. You know, who knows what his future is like in Pittsburgh. I think you can rule him out for that type of extension. By the way, I'm going to talk about retirement, retirement, retirement and then get mad when you draft a backup plan. Yeah. I love that. Don't bleep yourself, dude. <laughs> We're not bitter at all. God. Brady is kind of an outlier cuz he always, you know, his current relationship with the Patriots is unique. But in the past, he's also had a unique relationship with them 
taking discounts and allowing for flexibility in other areas of the yeah, roster. Yeah, but how old will he be when his contract's up? Yeah, 62, I believe. Phillip Rivers is interesting. I only say that because of all those guys, excluding Brady, he seems to be one of the 36-year-old-plus guys that still is pretty damn good. Yeah. You know, and I don't think he can get 30 mil a year, but, you know, he'll be probably north of where Eli and Ben go with their next deals. He should ask for one. $1 million per year for uh, each child that he has. Yeah, well, it's 40 a year. Then. That's 40 a year. Perfect. That really leaves Aaron Rodgers as the next domino to fall or Russell Wilson. The narrative seems to suggest Rodgers is the next guy in line, partly because the GM of the Packers went on PFT Live with Mike Florio last week and said, yeah, we're talking with him. We hope to work something out soon. It makes sense for Aaron Rodgers to get something north of Matt Ryan. Yeah. You know, and soon. He's a better quarterback. By the way, we've had five different quarterbacks become the new kings of cash in the NFL in the last year. <laughs> Stafford, <laughs> Carr, Cousins, Jimmy G. Um, so, yeah, this is not exactly... It's that Ryan was the fifth in the last year to be the new highest paid player ever at the and obviously at the quarterback position. So it looks like Rodgers is going to be that. It's only a matter of time. Why won't it be Russell Wilson before Aaron Rodgers? Maybe it's just because Rodgers, I don't really know why. You know, if I was Wilson, I would want to be after Rodgers so I could usurp what he's going to make with his team and use it as leverage. But now we get a report, Perkins, that comes out. Uh, two days ago, that says Russell Wilson's camp expects the Seahawks to use the franchise tag on him upon the expiration of his contract in 2020. And that was Mike Florio making that report, giving parallels between Wilson's situation and Kirk Cousins' previous situation with the Redskins. It was interesting that Wilson's camp are the ones that expect this. And this wasn't a report out of John Schneider's camp. This was Wilson's camp anticipating what is going to happen down the road. Is that the right approach for Seattle to take with Russell Wilson? At this point, it's so hard to even have the conversation because think about how much changes in two years in the NFL. Just think about relation. Even let's just talk relationships. Would two years ago you ever would have guessed that Tom Brady and the Patriots or Tom Brady and the coaching staff would be butting heads? Right. Would you guess that you know that the Seahawks would be in a rebuilds quasi rebuild mode. I mean, two years ago, this was a team that you were still have as a Super Bowl favorite, right? In so many ways. And look what's happened. I mean, you never would have thought two years ago that Richard Sherman would no longer be a Seahawk, that Cliff Averill would be retiring, that Cam Chancellor would be retiring after signing that huge deal. So to me, there is way too many questions to even have a conversation about that because if they don't extend him soon, what happens if Seattle wins six games next year? What happens if they win six games next year and then they win eight games the following season? Are Pete Carroll and John Schneider still there? Because if they're still there, then obviously we could have this conversation. But, I mean, coaching staffs can change in a heartbeat. I mean, Pete Carroll could retire. I just think it's a really hard conversation because when I hear franchise tag, I kind of go, oh, okay, well, you really want to piss off your star player, then give him the franchise tag. It's kind of how I look at it. Because historically, guys are not happy when they get franchise tagged. But I get why they would want to do that to try to save a few coins because, I mean, these contracts are getting ridiculous. They are getting crazy ridiculous. And it's been proven historically the best way to, you know, win in the NFL sustainably is to win with a quarterback on his rookie deal. 
and then, yeah. you know, allocate the money elsewhere. Damned if you do, damned if you don't, because you need a franchise quarterback to compete. Mm-hmm. But you don't want a guy that gets 30 a year in order to, you know, manipulate the rest of your salary. I mean, how cap. much is money is going to him and Julio Jones? All of it. <laughs> in I mean, fact, they bo- they're both playing defense now. Yeah. <laughs> um, Matt Ryan, middle linebacker. Yeah. That being said, you know... I mean, what do you think? Do you think that this is... Well, to me, the fluidity argument is is the right one and the good one. But it's to me, it's always been the case in the NFL. It's always been fluid. And yet, we always see star quarterbacks get extended with two years left on their deal. That's how it works, generally. Unless you're Kirk Cousins. You know, I think that's the outlier. So, you know, you still want to... St- every quarterback with their franchise, you have to take on a case-by-case basis. Productivity, age, health... Um, you know, coaching staff, those are all factors that, you know, play a role in whether or not to extend your franchise quarterback and at what terms. I just think from an age and productivity standpoint, Russell Wilson is not precluded from getting this mega extension. He deserves it. Yeah. He's still young enough, prime of his career. And he still and he's will still be playing when his contract's well. He up, let, by the way. And he still will be when the contract's up, in my opinion. Um, and I think in, in most people's opinion. And the productivity is still there. He just led the NFL in passing touchdowns last year on a non-playoff team. So those things don't preclude him. What might preclude him? Well, maybe you're right. The future of the coaching staff. Who knows if Pete Carroll is going to still be there and if that has an effect on Russell Wilson wanting to be in Seattle or not. He's already gone on the record, as everybody has, saying he wants to be a Seahawk for life and he wants to play till he's 45. But how much stock can you really put in that when you're talking about whether or not to extend a guy right now at this point of his career. Also keep in mind, a new CBA comes to the NFL in 2021 that includes a major upgrade of the rookie current rookie pay scale. And obviously Wilson's not a rookie, but it's going to affect everybody else's um, salary constructs, more or less. So it might be smart, and I this is not my opinion, I was reading this on 24-7 Sports earlier, it might be smart for Seattle to use that franchise tag in 2020 leading up to the new CBA being implemented in 2021 as a sort of stabilizing technique to not uh, really put themselves in any type of vulnerable position when the new CBA hits as as to how they extend uh, Russell Wilson down the road. Okay, question for you. Is it? Do you think Russell Wilson has a chance to make more money with Pete Carroll calling the shots or someone else calling the shots? Because I think that in Pete Carroll's perfect world, I think he doesn't want to pay a quarterback that much money. Look at what he's done trying to go back to some of the basics, go back to the run. That he is not the type of guy that necessarily wants the quarterback to be the focal point of what he tries to do, right? Offensively, it, focal point and money. Yeah, I, I know they're understandably tied. The money conversation, I think, applies more to John, and the focal point conversation matters more to Pete. Even though they're related, yeah, I agree. They're, I mean, they're if very you're talking about his formula for winning, seems to require a good quarterback, but not demand a superstar quarterback. That's all I'm saying. I'm not saying that they, they're going to get rid of him or anything like that, and I'm not saying that they should at all because I think if you have a franchise quarterback, you hang on to that person um, any way you, you can because that's truly how you win in today's NFL. But at the same time, I don't know philosophically. I don't know. I just don't know philosophically. if I mean, they look at that contract to Matt Ryan. Pete Carroll probably went, oh, my God. Are you kidding me? Like, I doubt that he was like, oh, yeah, cool. He got his money, (laughs) you know, because this is going to have a major domino effect on all these other teams. And that is going to take away money from the defense, from other weapons offensively. 
all sorts of different avenues. Let alone the distraction element and the storyline element if he's playing the final year of his contract without a new deal. Yeah. That's never fun. You know, no matter how mentally strong you are, that's never fun to have as, as a distraction. For a team that always says, hey, there's no distractions here, we handle our own business, I think it's been evident in the past two years that, yeah, distractions are real and they do matter within the the chemistry and camaraderie of guys on your team. So I think that's something that you'd want to avoid at all costs. Yeah. You know, even if the financial element would be, hey, might be most savvy to franchise him. Plus, you know, even though we know what the franchise tag value for 2020 would hypothetically be right now, we don't know what it actually is. It's pro- projected to be $30 million, which would mean that you would get him at a franchise tag for less than Aaron Rodgers and any of the other quarterbacks that get mega extensions, if any. But we don't know that for sure. You know, maybe it's higher. So, so much can change. I don't know if you want to between the distractions and the unknowns down the road. Don't you want to kind of for the security of it, lock them in, lock them in. When I read this story, I was kind of shocked. I, I mean, that Kirk Cousins situation was not good. Now, and this obvi- could be. Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say that's obviously a little different, right? Because Russell Wilson has won in Seattle. He's won a Super Bowl with this team. He has a better relationship. He's already in his second contract. He's not coming off of a rookie deal. But at the same time, I mean, that was all the conversation was about Kirk Cousins and was he going to sign or the how was the relationship with the team? And I think that you are playing with fire by doing this with a franchise tag because I think that that's going to cre- I think it would create resentment. It would for me mm-hmm. if I was in that position, especially given what they ask him to do in the running game. Yeah. You know, they don't give him any offensive line. They don't give him any protection, and they expect him to use his legs, and they're giving him no long-term security. Yeah, we're if I'm asking Wilson, you, I'm pissed. We're asking you to play this final year of your contract with the faith that we're going to franchise you, and by the way, your coach is 68 years old, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, I, I don't I don't like the feel of that either. Um, hopefully they're able to come to terms on that. I, I almost feel like you should lock him in before Aaron Rodgers. So that way you don't well, have to. If you lock him in before Aaron Rodgers, you get him cheaper. Yeah. That's the point. Yeah. And I just, uh, that's that's why, you know, and I wrote this on 1029thegame.com. And by the way, we're going to have more articles unfolding from the Game Plan Podcast on 1029thegame.com. And follow us on the Game Plan Podcast on Facebook and at Game Plan Pod on Twitter to see a lot of that content. But I wrote this Friday that Rodgers and Wilson, all things being equal, should get in a staring contest with each other and wait for the other one to sign simply for the leverage argument. Um, something to keep in mind down the road. Uh, we got to wrap it up here, but final news and notes talking about extensions for former star players or current star players. Uh, Earl Thomas is not present at voluntary off-season workouts. Phase two started this week, and he is not here. Pete Carroll basically saying that it doesn't suit Earl right now for uh, phase two. Uh, phase three begins May 21st. Thomas probably won't be at that either. You know, he's looking for a contract extension himself, about to enter the final year of his deal. He just turned 29 years old yesterday. So, happy birthday, Earl Thomas. Two years younger than me, yet we look at him like he's getting old. It's incredible how sports does that. But his absence from VMAC is not finable until mandatory minicamp, and that does not begin until June 12th, at which point, if he misses three days of mandatory minicamp, he could be fined over $84,000. Gut feel, look, he's a veteran. He probably doesn't need the voluntary workouts. Would it be great to have him there? Sure, yes. To me, short-term, doesn't really affect him that much. It's not going to affect his play come the fall, as long as he's there in June. Now, 
the yeah. the understanding is that he will be there in June because have not his agents communicated to John Schneider that he plans to Sean Schneider that yeah. he does not plan on holding out. Yeah, that he plans on playing the right. season and everything like. Yeah, this is a non-story to me. I mean, it, look, a lot of these guys that have. I mean, football. God, it's such a brutal sport, and you know he's been playing for so long now that you almost don't want him there. I mean, I feel like a little bit. I know right. it's non-contact, but I'm just saying, like you almost just want him to do whatever is best for him to keep his body healthy. It's kind of how I look at it. I sure. don't I don't look at it this as a story at all. If he start if he misses mandatory mini camp, okay, then we can have the conversation. But until June twelfth, I think that uh this should be tabled. What if Russell Wilson wasn't there? My point being your quarterback needs to be in a leadership role in these, but does your captain of your defense? <sighs> I don't know. It's such yeah. a different position, man. The quarterback to me is like the leader of an entire team, not just the offense. Cam Chancellor, a lot of questions, concerns around his neck. Uh, we traded tweets with Cam last week. <laughs> how's your soul, Cam? He says, how's how's your soul doing? Um, which, you know, real talk. I can empathize with the statement, but it's kind of funny to blast that out on social media, given the context. He says that he's going to have some scans done on his neck coming up this June. And when that does take place, Perkins, that will be the first new information we've had with Cam and his neck and any type of clarity on him in a long time. Now, I don't know if a final decision on his playing status for the fall will be determined immediately in the aftermath of these scans, but at least we have a date in place for knowing the next part of Cam's story. Much like Earl Thomas, it's wait till June. <laughs> yeah. I don't think he's going to play, but I mean, who knows? He's a top 100 player. Yeah. According to whichever place does those every year, NFL.com. The NFL.com and NFL Network released their top 100. They're doing it in installments, as always, and Cam came out Monday night as being the 75th best player in the league. Obviously, that was unwarranted based on production, given the fact that he only played in seven games. But two spots ahead of Odell Beckham Jr., who is at 77. Um, And, look, it's just a respect nod, really, to one of the greatest safeties of all time which kind of parlays itself into a conversation we have to have later, but you brought it up to me pre-show, Perkins. If Chancellor doesn't play another down in the NFL, is he a Hall of Famer? The quintessential Hall Man, of Famer That's a good question to me. I mean, yeah. I think that we got to take a deeper dive on that, but that's a good conversation because, boys, he had some signature big game moments in his career. Finally, goodbye, Cliff Averill. Been with the team since 2013. Been on the winless Detroit Lions. Been a Super Bowl champion. Played a huge role in that Super Bowl. If you remember, the interception by Malcolm Smith was on an Averill hit of Peyton Manning's throwing arm. Um, made so many sacks, big plays since then. Terrible to think that one random dive headlong tackle of Jacoby Brissett on a Sunday night game is going to be the final play of Cliff Averill's career. Just like... Talk about the fragility of an NFL career. Cam Chancellor, the same way. Richard Sherman, similar, even though he's going to come back. Um, you know, one play, and you can be done. That's a real thing, and it's evidenced with Cliff Averill. But the team released him Friday. He wrote a piece in the Players' Tribune, very heart-moving. And on Monday, the news came out that he's going to stay in the Seattle area, Perkins, and join our side of things being a co-host on Sports Radio KJR 9.50 a.m. in Seattle from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. weekdays, Cliff Averill, alongside <laughs> Jason Puckett. All the feels in the world for uh, for Cliff Averill with this, but being such the community-oriented guy that he is, very thankful that he's going to stay among the 12s. Yeah, and 
I'm still convinced that if he doesn't go out of uh, 49, they win that game. Absolutely. Talk about what-ifs in Seahawk history. That's one of the more detailed, specific ones. But without a doubt, the way the impact that he was making in that game Ugh. and then his departure the with pressure the pressure on Tom Brady and, and, and the lack of pressure. You look at the after immediate his, yeah. impact yeah. offensively for the Patriots as soon as he exited the game. Man, Man. boy, that game had a lot of one if, what-ifs. But um, when I think of Cliff Averill, that's one of the first things that comes to mind. And it just ta- it, that just goes to show you, though, you know, we always talk about Michael Bennett because he's outspoken. We talk about Bobby Wagner, K.J. Wright, Earl Thomas, you know, Richard Sherman. But, man, Cliff Averill, both on the field and off the field, is a great guy and a great player. I mean, he will be missed for sure. All right, phase two of offseason workouts is underway. Phase three begins May 21st. There will undoubtedly be news and notes that unfold between now and then, at which time we'll have another podcast next week. Brian Perkins will have something up on the website coming up later this week to be determined. Myself as well. He's Brian Perkins. I'm Judah Newby. Follow us on Twitter at GamePlanPod and on Facebook, too. For Perkins, I'm Judah. This is the Game Plan Podcast. See ya. See you later. <laughs> Farewell, my friends. Farewell, fev- fellow podcast listeners. Well, good I thing we kept it to 25 minutes.